Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Becky and I woke up yesterday morning with our hearts overflowing with gratitude. The day before Friday morning, we headed up to Valley Cruises with the Greensboro Fellows, by the way, I knew what two minutes ago I was at the church. When we were headed to Valley Cruises, it's been the day, about half a day, with Jerome Daly. If you know who he is, he's an author of about five books, spiritual director, uh, executive coach. It was just a really rich time. It felt like I was, we were sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing this distilled wisdom and truth about what it means to become formed in Christ. What it means to not become the men and women of We're also in the mountains. And the Valley of Cruces Boone is beautiful this time of year. We ate uh, supper at Woodland uh, Barbecue at Blood Rock, which is one of my favorite places up there. Enjoyed a really rich conversation, driving on the way back, especially um, to Greensboro, and just had a lot of fun with fellows. It's just a rich day. Jesse and I both woke up that yesterday morning with our hearts of being with gratitude for God's goodness to us. And it's interesting when he would give me such a dose of gratitude, and then a couple days later I'm basically speaking about gratitude. You heard the story that Ryan just gave us in Luke 17, 11 through 19 about Jesus healing his mothers. And so in the first casual reading, it seemed pretty obvious that Jesus is calling us out to become men, men and women of total greatness. And I know for me, I can get so distracted, so busy, so much going on, that I am not as thankful as I long to be. We kind of take things for granted. And I, I think I speak for all of us, that so we really do deep down want to be men and women of humble gratitude and thankfulness to God and that people do good things for us. But as I've wrestled with this, I, I, I sense there's something more going on. And remember whenever I was at the preaching team, I preached every 10, 10 days before you preach, you meet the preaching team. One of the guys on the mission named Drew <laughs> said, man, this needs a lot of work. You're right. It needed a lot of work. So I, I've just been wrestling with this, and I, I kind of got the basic framework of it, but there was something missing, and I just kept sitting with it and praying over it and wrestling with it. I met with friends like Nathan and others and just kind of picked their brain and, and uh, just really just, Jesus, please meet with me and help me see there's something going on here that I'm missing. So I'm excited this morning to tell you uh, that I think he really, well, he definitely spoke to me in a very profound way and I'm hoping that it nurtures you and nurtures me in the same way that it has for me. About becoming a man when they didn't want to become people of humble gratitude. Uh, and so this morning, what I'm going to do is what I kind of like to do, what I'm trying to do, is kind of walk through this story with you and just kind of highlight a couple of things that I feel like are really important. But really land on this one phrase that just kept stirring within me. Uh, so before we do, though, let me please join me in praying. Jesus, we thank you that you're with us for your spirit. This story is about you, for us, for our well-being, 
redeemed one to express. Please come in fresh ways. Open up the eyes of our heart. Open up our ears where we can hear. Help us hear you through your word that we can encounter you. That we can grow more in love with you. And that we can become the men and women you created us to be because that's when we're fully alive. That's when we become fully human. That's when we become our true self. We live in union with you and your word. We need help with that. We can't do that alone. So please come and speak words of life to each and every person in this room. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen. So when you look at the beginning of the story, it starts with verse 11. If you have your Bibles and your Bible apps, please start with me at Luke 17, 11. And it starts off with these words, all the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along Samaria and Galilee. And that term, that phrase, all the way to Jerusalem, is used two of the times in the Gospel of Luke. It starts in 951. And this is kind of the theme of the central section, where Jesus has set his hearts like flint. He set his face like flint, going to Jerusalem, where he knows what awaits him is impending torture, crucifixion, rejection, hatred, scorn. This flat-out torture. And when he's going to be on the cross, not only the physical pain, but even far more experiencing God's wrath and condemnation for my sin and for your sin, he bears that for us that we can be reunited with God and forgiven for all eternity. He knows us what's waiting him. But he sets his heart like flint. The second time Luke tells us this. He knows what awaits. But he's born anyway. That's a whole other sermon. What love looks like. Because he is the model of true love. You sacrifice whatever it takes for the well of others. But he continues on and he says, as he's going to Jerusalem, he comes, he passed in between Samaria and Galilee. And if you're familiar with the tension between Samaria and Galilee, that, you know, you have this big, long place called Israel. You know, the very top part, you have Galilee. The very middle section is Samaria. The lower section is Judea. And so Judea and Galilee are where the Jews live. God's covenant people, Samaria were, were what? Where the half-breeds live. People of mixed race. When the Assyrian empire years ago conquered, pulled people, Jews out, and put poor people in, so now you have this mixture of race. Uh, so they're multiracial, and that's what we look down upon. And then they also kind of have this synchronistic religion. They're unorthodox in their belief. They don't believe the way the Torah believes and teaches. And so they're looked down upon, even condemned, despised. Jews don't enter into Samaria. It's just a no-no. We don't like them. We stay away from them. They're considered people. But he's traveling along the border of Galilee and Samaria. He's about to enter into a village. And as he's about to enter into a village, there's ten lepers that greet him. Leprosy is probably you're familiar with, or you're familiar with just a reminder, it was the scourge of the ancient world. It horrified humanity. For thousands of years. First documented in 600 BC. 
Technically, it's not a skin disease, though it deeply affects the skin. You get this, these tumor-like growths grows on your skin. You get these ulcerous scabs, like ulcers all over your skin. Your skin becomes white and scaly. But ultimately, it's not a skin disease. It's a nervous system disease. So you get this bacterium, this leprosy bacterium that attacks the nerves, and it causes disfigurement of the skin and of your body. Your body becomes contorted. becomes the form. But they, your body parts only become the form. They, they actually rot off. So they lose fingers. They lose toes. They're even known to lose feet. It's actually documented that they would, lepers would travel along on the ground, pulling themselves. And anytime they're pulling themselves, they couldn't walk. They had no feet, but their feet were so messed up. They're groaning. Like a dog has been whipped. So it's just incredibly excruciating, physically painful. But it's not just that. I think even more so is the emotional. You're looked upon as dead by society. You're looked upon with shame. And you were rejected. You were abandoned. You couldn't live in a village. You couldn't live with your family. You had to live in a leper colony. You couldn't hold a job. You couldn't go to synagogue worship services. You couldn't go to the feast, you couldn't go to the parties, you couldn't go to weddings. You just were isolated in a leper colony, slowly dying in agonizing death. It would terrify humanity since the beginning of the first being discovered. So there they are, doing what you would think lepers would do. They're on the outskirts of town, they can't be in the town, they can't mingle with them. And as we go into the outskirts of town, they see Jesus. And they cry out to him, this is verse 12. They lift up their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's a phrase used all throughout the scriptures. Have mercy. They're praying and asking Jesus for healing. And so when Jesus saw them, he had compassion. That's Jesus. And he says to them, go and show yourself to the priest. Without the historical context, it's kind of like, well, what's this about? There's something deeper going on. Because whenever you were cleansed of leprosy, that's what the law said. When you're cleansed, when you're healed of it, then you go to the priest. And the priest will inspect you and look at your body and say, yeah, you've been healed. You're now reinstated back to society. You can go back and live with your family. You can go back and hold a job. Hey, come to worship with us next Sabbath. Hey, we're having a feast. Come over here. Come to the wedding now. You're reestablished back in the community. You're no longer dead, but now you're alive. So you go to the priest after you've been healed. So the ten lepers have to make a decision. They look down at their body and says, go to the priest, show yourself. Well, but I'm not healed. So are they going to trust Jesus' words or their own words? Are they going to trust their sight or live by faith? The crucial turning point here. And they choose to trust Jesus. And the text says, is, as they go, they're healed. And I've found in my own life, a lot of times my emotional healing, intellectual healing, even physical healings, come as I trust and obey. As I put the full weight of my being on who God is and do what He's asking me to do. And they model that. So they go, and when they step out, the healing comes, 
And look at verse 15. Crucial point. Then, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. So he looks down and he sees his healed, goes back and falls on his face, overwhelmed with gratitude. And what does Jesus say? Jesus tells him, we're not ten cleansed? That's three questions. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this Samaritan, this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way in faith that made you well. He's saying, rise up. Because now not only have you experienced physical healing, but you've experienced spiritual healing. Your sins are forgiven. That word is sozo in Greek, which means saved. It's four different times actually Luke uses the same phrase. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And this faith is being demonstrated by his deep, humble gratitude. Sozo, as Judson pointed out when we're looking at this in the preaching team, that's the fullness of salvation that Jesus wants to give us, and it will come when Jesus comes back and uh, touches his kingdom on earth and in heaven. The experience of fullness of salvation. I won't have tonitis anymore. They're constantly ringing in my ear. We'll have vertigos and walking like a wobble, wobble man at the time. There's going to be things that we're going to be fully healed, including my son, Brennan, which excites me to know him. That's our future. But, but what it kept hitting me was why the Samaritan? I just kept leaning with that. Why the Samaritan? And what's implied in I looked at several commentaries, and then I included looked at some early church fathers, here with Andrea was one, and they all said what's being implied in this text is that the other nine were Jews. One Samaritan, nine Jews. Why the Samaritan? Why was that the one that came back on the realm of gratitude? I just kept wrestling with this and sitting with this and like there's something going on here. And then the Lord brought to my mind one of my favorite stories, not my favorite story at all, Luke, about life ministering, about Christ ministering people. Luke 7, 37 through 50. This is the time when Simon, one of the Pharisees, invited Jesus over for a meal, for dinner. And so they're sitting there eating the meal. And you probably have heard again that they have low tables. And they're not up very high, you have a foot and a half or so. And so when you ate at a meal, you, you lean on a big pillow, you're leaning on your elbow, and you're eating your meal with one hand, and then your legs come out like a, like a bee, and so your feet are behind you. So they're eating a meal, and in barges this woman who's known as a sinful woman. And in that context, in that world, that phrase meant she was a prostitute. More likely she was a prostitute. And she walks in, barges in, and she stands at the feet of Jesus, and she's so overwhelmed with gratitude. Tears are just screaming in her face. And she covers the feet of Jesus with tears. And then she reaches down and she wipes his feet off with her hair. The glory of a woman in the ancient culture. She wipes her feet with her hair, and then she takes his perfume that she brought in, and she anoints his feet. Why did she have that response? She's overwhelmed with the love and the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus gave her. 
and offers us all of us. But why did the Pharisee not have that response? If you have your Bibles, you want to flip over to Luke 7, I'm sorry, Luke 9. No, I'm right, Luke 7. Uh, verse 49, I'm just going to read a couple of phrases here, or a couple of the verses. And Jesus is answering because the Pharisee, Simon, is sitting there thinking, Jesus, if you knew what the kind of woman this was, and you were a prophet, you had nothing to do with her. So Jesus knows what's going on. He talks to Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they did not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love the more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom canceled the larger debt. He said, you judge rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. He goes on and he says, He who has been forgiven little will love them. He who has been forgiven much will love them. And the point of that story is not that, well, she's a prostitute. My goodness, you know, she deliberately sins against the Lord. She messes up families. She's ruining people. Like, she gets what she deserves. She, she really is bad. She, she had a lot of grace. This Pharisee, a religious leader, like a modern-day pastor, seminary degree, really, you know, keeps the law, seeks to be holy. He's like, he didn't have much to do before, but the woman does. It's a prostitute. It's not the point of this pastor. He who has been forgiven much is every one of us. So why was Simon not doing the same thing? And it made me go back and think, did that have something to do with the Jews? The nine Jews who go who were healed of leprosy as well. And you know how horrible the disease that is, as I described it, but only the Samaritan comes back. Why? And this is what I feel like is going on. They had a claim on God. I'm one of God's chosen. I'm one of God's people. I live in the tradition of the Jewish faith. I live in the tradition of the Christian faith. I go to synagogue worship. Or I used to before I got leprosy. You know, and I'm really trying to live a good life. And so, you know, it's kind of like God's obligated, you know. Of course, he's the Jewish rabbi, Jewish prophet's going to heal the Jews and cry out for mercy. Yes, we know that's I think also what helps me understand the story is the previous passage in Luke 17. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10, which is a story right before this one. Jesus is saying, Well, any of you who has a servant, a bond servant, Plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he comes come into the field, come at once when you come to my table and come eat dinner. I'm going to go cook supper for you. Come out, come chill with me. Would you rather not say, after working all day in the fields, prepare supper for me and dress, pro dress properly, clean up the sink, and serve me while I eat and drink, and after you will eat, you will eat and drink. 
That's what you say to your hired hands. That's what you say to your bond servants. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded, because he did his duty? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you say, we are your unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. I think the Jews thought that they were worthy servants. And the Samaritan was overwhelmed with the grace given to them. He had no obligation to heal his man. And he did He was totally a gift of grace and mercy. He's of a different religion, different culture. He's not obligated to do anything in my life. And the Samaritan knew it. I really think what's going on is if you've been given much grace, we'll give much thanks. If you have been given little grace, we'll give little thanks. It is so easy for me to take things for granted, including the great trip that we had on Friday. And in my mind, I can sit there and think, well, well yeah, you know, we did work hard. We kind of planned this thing. And Becky worked really hard to get the meals together. And, you know, Jerome, well, we paid him to do it. Of course, it's going to be a good job. And, you know, you know, if we had a good conversation, well, yeah, I asked some really good questions, you know. So it, it's just, I'm not doing that. But my point is, it's so easy for us to take things for granted and not realize how much it overwhelms us with grace and his mercy and his kindness that we don't deserve. <laughs> We recognize that we are unworthy servants. But you look and you experience his incredibly passionate love for you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's never going to leave you alone. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed your transgressions from you. You're not only forgiven, you're made righteous in his sight. And he's always with you. And when you practice him for mercy, there are many times he's going to answer. Sometimes he may not. He says, I got something better for you. But I need you to endure was better for you this time is the one I'm going to do in and through your life for the pain, for the struggle. But I love you and I'm for you. We take so much for granted. I mean, simple things like I came back from Mexico a while back. We used to make mission trips down there. You know, and I had, came back and I had running water. And I, and I had, we're in a third world country. We're not in Poverville, Mexico. We're at Shinjisville. And these communities, you know, they, they had dirt floors and, you know, I mean, they had beans and rice every day. I came back so overwhelmed with gratitude, and then a month later, I forgot about it. I really think what he's trying to say in this story is, guys, it delights the heart of Jesus when you and I become humbly grateful men and women to each other and to him. But what gets us there is not beating ourselves up. You should be more thankful. Count all your blessings. I have been told that before. I know people who've been in a hospital and they lose a loved one, a baby, and the nurse says, oh, at least you have seven more. Count your blessings. No one in this room would do that. But it's easy for us to take things for granted and not meet the gratitude of all the good that he has for us. Constantly fixing our eyes on the beauty on his kindness, on his mercy, on his glory. As I come to a close, there's one other reason why I think we miss out on being the deeply humble, grateful people we want to be. We get so busy, so distracted, 
come back Friday, come back Saturday and churning out stuff, and then you know, mow the yard and do laundry, and then just keep churning, keep churning, keep churning, keep busy, busy, busy. And I don't take time to sit and reflect and remember all the ways he's loved me that day. I think part of it's slowing down. So what I wonder for you and for me is that you and I would be just falling at the feet of Jesus, overwhelmed by his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his all the things he gives us constantly. And we would be madly in love with him and become the humble, grateful men and women that I know we want to be. It delights his heart that the world needs to see his model. I want to close with a prayer that has been very meaningful for me. If you have, if you ever pray the daily office, the morning office is in there. And I just want you to close your eyes with me and let's close with prayer. Oh, the general, prayer of general thanksgiving. Let the word sink in. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks. For all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, all the blessings of this life. But above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, for the hope of glory. We pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service, and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit, we honor and glory.